Hello and welcome to the Culture Swalley, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who has never shed a tear to a Cranky's record. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? <laughs> Doing very well. I'd, uh, you may have to explain that one for me. Never shed a tear to a Cranky's record. <laughs> well, look, I'm struggling. I was struggling today for something to come up with. And there is a point in uh, what we're going to be talking about later on when the character James says, I've never shed a tear to a bow. Ah, yeah, yeah, right. I just thought, yeah, the Crankies is uh, probably... I mean, maybe you have shed a tear to We're All Going to Spain. I don't know. <laughs> or Fan Dabby Dozy. I'm not sure. Uh, no, I can't say I have. Um, I'm a, somewhat uh, perplexed at the minute here because my Google has just changed itself to Arabic. <laughs> so when I, ty- ah, so nice. when I type okay. in English, it comes up in fucking Arabic letters <laughs> for some reason. Um, let me see if it still gets me to where I want to go. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, we are having a few technical issues this morning, dear listener, (laughs) in terms of things seem to be going a bit tits up, but we're still here, and hopefully the episode will work. It's still got me to where where I want to go, so it's fine, it's uh, it's no problem. Oh, that's fine, that's fine. I mean, come on, Greg, you've uh, lived in the Middle East for long enough now, do you not know enough Arabic to get by on Google? (laughs) I don't know, I think like all uh, Western expats, I know... Hello and thank you. Um, and that is about it. And I know, I know left as well, bizarrely, um, which is handy if I, want, if, I want, if I want the taxi driver to turn left, but I'm fucked when you need him to turn right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. No, I'm, well, I lived there 12 years and I'm pretty much exactly the same as yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I was able to say, um, excuse me, I speak a little Arabic. Right. But can you speak English? Right. I think I I did learn how to say that. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was very much please, thank you, Habibi, yeah, yeah. and inshallah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, how's everything with you today? Yes, All good? very good. Um, I had a, a bit of a moment with my daughter the other day where I really felt like a like a wise father <laughs> right after I said what I said to her, right? But we were uh, we were listening to the radio on the way to school and it was just after Liverpool beat Man United 7-0 at uh, Anfield mm. last week. And um, my daughter said, 7-0? She said, I, th- I thought I thought Manchester United were the better team. And I said, and, I, and it's such a dad thing to say, right? But it felt quite good. I said, well, they weren't the better team yesterday. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, fucking nailing it. <laughs> Are you, were you happy with I yourself? Was, yeah, about I that, was. You? I thought that's a really good response. <laughs> so it was. Even she, even yeah. he, even she, I, I sort of looked at her sideways, and she had a kind of well, fair enough kind of look on, her, you know, <laughs> as opposed to the usual <laughs> screwed up face of doubt and recrimination that she usually has in her face when I say things to her. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, very good. You were able to impart a little bit of dad wisdom was, there, yeah. and uh, yeah, come out with like a nice little quip Indeed. as well. So I'm glad you were proud of, course, of yourself. There it was for somebody who's. For some, for, for somebody who follows football just enough to kind of get by in a conversation, <laughs> I thought I did all right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, wonderful. All right. Well, uh, we'll go from the world of football into the world of news, I guess. Shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland in the last couple Let's of weeks? Let's do it. Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. 
Okay, Greg, so what have you seen from around Scotland? I was going to say the last couple of weeks. You're going away for a couple of weeks, so we're actually kind of banking a couple of episodes. So we actually recorded the last episode two days ago. So um, we're We're fully caught up with each other. (laughs) So apologies if these news stories seem a little bit old, but um, they're from a couple of weeks ago. But what have you seen in the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye in Scotland? Uh, Well, this uh, didn't happen uh, in Scotland, strictly speaking, but it does involve a bit of a Scottish treasure. So this is Mm. uh, a Scottish national treasure, I should say. This is um, uh, early morning television's lovely Lorraine Kelly. Uh, She Mm. profusely apologises to GMB's Kate Garraway after on-age cleavage blunder. So Lorraine was telling viewers about what was coming up in their own programme when uh, her co-host uh, Ben Shepherd, uh, co-host rather Ben Shepherd and Susanna Reid decided to play a trick on her. Uh, the pair had a little bit of fun at Kate's expense with the use of the green screen as the 55-year-old caught their attention with her bright green jumpsuit for her latest uh, TV appearance. Uh, Kate was made to stand up and show off her attire and due to the colour and with the help of some TV trickery crew behind the scenes managed to change the colour of her dress from red to blue then purple, and then seconds later, a live image of the rain's face appeared on her clothes, and fans were left in stitches and took to Twitter to tweet the star. And when the rain saw a screen grab of herself on Kate's garment, she replied, OMFG, which uh, for anybody over the age of like 30 means, oh my fucking God, although she didn't say this on <laughs> Shouldn't say that no, on the TV in the morning. I can only apologise profusely for the damage inflicted. And that led to many of our comments, uh, many of our fans to comment and react. So basically, <laughs> try and describe this picture, right? So Kate Garraway is wearing a green jumpsuit and Lorraine Kelly's face has been has been like projected onto her body. So under her chin, there's quite a close-up of Lorraine Kelly's face. And then the rain's wearing a not a really low-cut top, but low low-cut enough to have a little bit of a, a bit of clavage, which the technicians have lined up the little line of cleavage uh, right where Kate Garraway's lady garden is. <laughs> Oh my dear! <laughs> oh my dear, indeed. One of uh, the Reigns fans on Twitter said, "My mother, my mother noticed it straight away. You can't even fucking miss it." Uh, I told her <laughs> it'll end up on Twitter. Another penned, "GMB, please look back at the rain on Kate. Not sure the cleavage was in the right place." Alongside a string of crying, laughing emojis. Uh, when a fourth penned, I'm not sure that GMB thought this one through. At real Lorraine, uh, at, oh, that's Lorraine Kelly's Twitter handle. Lorraine Kelly's cleavage project onto Kate Garraway alongside an image of the moment in question. So that's the article, sort of short and sweet. Uh, it, it would never have happened when Roland Rat was running TVAM, would it? <laughs> I just had to laugh because I just heard your pussy meow um, <laughs> in the background of, uh, as you're talking about the <laughs> about Lorraine Kelly's uh, thing. Uh, no, that would never happen in uh, in Roland Rat's days um, of of Roland getting his rat out with Kevin or anything like that. Um, I, I did see this picture, and yeah, it is quite a, a spectacle in terms of the the way the the cleavage is just there, and yeah. I guess it makes a change from people not talking about Lorraine Kelly's growler because obviously quite uh, there's quite famous uh, pictures available online of um really of, of yes yes put your vpn on and have a look for uh, yeah photos of Lorraine Kelly um and yes there are photos of her um her so who's who's her, who's, well, who's it is her growler 
Who's taking who's taking naked photos of the Ring Kelly and putting them on a on the It was uh, I mean it was in our younger days, but yes, there are photos available online of um, oh, the Ring Kelly's um, <laughs> massive hairy Kate Bush. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it, I think it was acceptable back then, though, right? That was it was the style, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, no, no, it's completely uh, fitting of the time. Mm. Yeah, I'm not having a go at anything about her for um, <laughs> having a massive bush. It was, it was very much the, of of the time yeah. and, and of the style. Um, but yes, there are photos of uh, Lorraine Kelly out there. Um, oh. Just just to pre warn you in case you're wanting to have a Google for that. I'll have a look. But yeah, it. stick your stick your VPN on first. Yeah. Um, so was the rain a so was the rain like a former like sort of tenants lager can lovely or something like that before she was a serious journalist? I don't ever remember seeing gash on uh, a can of tenants lager. I'll be quite honest with you there, Craig. Um, the, the the lager lovelies were well covered up right, um, right. on there. Um, I I don't know what the photos are for. I, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna have to Google them now. I'm an INC. What the uh, we don't know how they got there. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, I don't know. I'll, I'll need to investigate that further. I'll have right. a proper look and, and try and find out the background behind them and I'll let you know in the next episode. <laughs> okay. I'll have a, a L- Lorraine Kelly's gash update. Um, I need to stop saying that word. Sorry, I don't know why. <laughs> I feel terrible about that. Um, so what was the outcome of this? Uh, the the um, Her cleavage getting beamed onto to Kate Garraway's um, lady parts. Um, well, was there uh, think, any fallout or anything? I think it was just all a bit of a, a bit of like shits and giggles. Do you know what I mean? A bit of a laugh. Um, I don't think anybody took any offence. Okay. Know? It's fair yeah, enough. Good. Just a bit of, uh, that's just, all good. Just a bit of early morning shenanigans and light-hearted japery. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure we've seen worse, of course. Um, yeah, it's yeah, that we have. morning television over definitely. the years. I mean, Piers Morgan used to be on there, do you know what I mean? So... <laughs> That fucking doe-faced so, Tory cunt. It's from one cunt to another, I would say, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, that was my first story. Uh, sh- short and sweet. I'm just having a wee look on Google, my VPN on. I've not come across uh, the growler in question. I've just, But there's a lot of pictures of Lorraine Kelly um, in a bikini. So, oh, good for you, Lorraine. Anyway... <laughs> What's your first story this week? Uh, okay, so my first story this week is from the Scottish Sun. And there has been a bit of an epidemic recently in Scottish football with uh, pyrotechnics and flares and things and, and smoke bombs being let off and thrown onto the pitch. So um, they are trying to clamp down a little bit on it. So this is an article from say, the Scottish Sun this week. Um, football thugs are smuggling flares into matches by hiding them in baguettes, it has been claimed. <laughs> Dozens of... <laughs> Like, what an ingenious way to (laughs) smuggle a flare in a football ground. Uh, Dozens of flares, strobes, smoke canisters and rockets were set off at the Viva Play Cup final at Hampden in a crowd of 50,000 people last month. Uh, Less than a week later, a smoke bomb was hurled onto the pitch by an Aberdeen supporter on Saturday evening, missing Pataudry midfielder Ryan Duncan by a matter of inches, with both clubs now working to identify the culprit. English fans have moved away from pyrotechnics in recent years uh, amid hopes that Scottish fans will follow suit. But it was claimed that some are using baguettes to smuggle them into the ground. Uh, Jim Goodwin, the Dundee United manager, was also pelted with coins, um, appealed to the clubs to start using CCTV to present it escalating. To present it escalating? To prevent it from escalating. Uh, Ken Scott, who is the head of inspectorate at the Sports Ground Safety Authority, SGSA, uh, met with representatives from Hollywood. uh, Hollywood? Hollywood. What the fuck is going on this morning? Uh, And local authorities in Glasgow to discuss safety certificates. 
Um, Mr Scott said, there are many reasons why pyrotechnics should not be within a country mile of a football ground. They burn at high temperatures, they can start a fire and they have the ability to cause appalling injuries. Education and persuasion have had a bit of impact in England. People are realising that there are better ways to show your support than a team than a blue, red or green pyrotechnic device. If fans don't listen, there needs to be a sanction. Uh, so there was a big display of pyrotechnics at the cup final uh, last month. Uh, there are 50,000 people inside the stadium and uh, Ken said that's an awful lot of people that could have been impacted but it's also an awful lot of people to search. There are dogs which can detect the black powder which is inside these things but they're more of a deterrent. The chances of them detecting all of the pyrotechnics is very slim. People are going to extraordinary lengths. <laughs> they're hiding them inside baguettes. <laughs> And they often put them uh, inside the hood of a child's jacket because they know that not many ground search kids. So why don't you just put it in the kid's pocket then? <laughs> um, they, they use kids as mules to get these things in. All right, Ken, Jesus. Um, also, if you put them down the front of your trousers, nobody's going to search there for obvious reasons. Ken's just giving people tips of how to smuggle them into the grounds now. Um, if people are determined to get them in, they will do it. I still think people have to be educated about the risks, but if they still insist on using them, sorry, but they have to feel the full force of the law. Well said, Ken. <laughs> so I'm just imagining all of these Rangers and Celtic fans going to the cup final, like a, an army of Frenchmen armed with baguettes <laughs> coming in because they've got their smoke bombs and flares that they're waiting to set off. And I guess they've got a snack as well because the uh, the food at Hamden's pretty shit. So um, they can set off their flare and then eat their baguette as well. <laughs> they hide the evidence. <laughs> I I don't see the point of this. I've I've never been a big fan of this, like smoke bombs or pyrotechnics. I mean, okay, it sometimes looks quite pretty on the TV and stuff, but I I generally can't be arsed with it because then they end up having to stop the game. They wait for the smoke to clear. You can't see the players. The players can't see anything because of the smoke it's all just a fucking pain in the arse really it, i mean what's the point i mean if it, it feels quite i think it sort of started in europe didn't it there i think it's quite a continental yeah. thing i think the the the, the ultras and in those types of groups uh and also turkey like sort of galatasaray and all that um so yeah uh but i don't i don't really get to see the point and it'd it be you know to be serious for a minute it does feel a bit like a fucking disaster waiting to happen you know what i mean oh yeah um, i'd be a bit scared if I was, yeah. you know, at a match and someone next to me is like lighting up a flare. I, I think I would be a bit wary and a bit sus not suspicious, but I'd, like a bit concerned about what's going to happen to that because it just takes it to, you know, somebody to go wrong and for it to to explode and then you've got a bit of a nasty accident there. Well, the thing is, like, they 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 burn incredibly hot because it's like force as if it's phosphorus, right? So it burns really really mm. hot. So you know, like you could, you know, if you got somebody, you know, I mean, they especially if you're at, if you're at, in the Rangers then there's a good chance the person next to you is wearing a shell suit <laughs> they could go up like a fucking roaming <laughs> candle um, and um, <laughs> it's uh, but uh, in all seriousness it, it does feel like a bit of a disaster waiting to happen and the thing is as well like when you go to like a big game and it's a sellout even though the stadiums are all seated now it's still you know you, you, you can't help but feel you know, all those like that many people moving at once you do always feel a wee bit precarious until you're either in your seat or you're out of the stadium and into a bit of space. Do you know what? Well, I, well certainly I do. Anyway, mm. you know. Um, but do you know what that reminds me? Do you know what that reminded me of? Do you remember when you and um, I think I can remember you went, maybe you went with a mutual friend. Maybe you're telling me you guys went to Murrayfield to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, a guy known me. 
Was it not you? Who was yeah. it? Well, you know, you know Chris Davis, um, who's now mm. a who's, who's who's now a comedian. He was at the Edinburgh Festival last year. But um, somebody told me, I thought sure it was you. Maybe it was. Uh, somebody told me that um, they would. They saw. <laughs> you mean our mutual friend? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, they said that they saw him. He he had tried to take an air horn in and into the Murrayfield, and uh, he was stopped. And they made him like stand outside and set it off before they before they would let him into the stadium. They said he said we saw Davis. He was just sitting outside for about five minutes, <laughs> letting off this air horn because they wouldn't let him. <laughs> Why did not so just what? confiscate it? <laughs> yeah. What? So, what? They, they made him empty the air horn, effectively, yeah. and then he was allowed to take it in. And then, then, then he was allowed to take it in, yeah, pretty much, because he didn't want to. I'd just, have just fucking thrown it in the bin. I wouldn't have been arsed about um, <laughs> sitting there for 10 minutes setting off an air horn. Jesus, it damaged your hearing, I would have thought. I wonder who it was that saw him then um, and told me about that. Maybe it was somebody in Glasgow that knows him. Oh, shit, I could have sworn it was you. But anyway, I guess not. But yeah, just... No, definitely wasn't me. <laughs> I've, uh, I don't think I've ever seen the Red Hot Chili Peppers live. Oh, it's, uh, not really a big fan, so... Right. Yeah, Fair enough. No, never seen them. Um, but yeah, I've never seen the, the point of that in, in smuggling, you know, pyro in. But I, I do... I am impressed at the fact that they are using baguettes to smuggle them in. I thought <laughs> that was quite a nice little touch and uh, a very yeah. inventive way. Have you ever smuggled anything anywhere? Uh, I remember when you and I went to watch, you and I and our mutual friend uh, went to watch Scotland uh, play Belarus at Hamden years ago and you, mm. and you and I smuggled in a couple of hip flasks. So maybe it was just one hip flask with Southern Comfort because, you know, mm. like, I don't, I'm not, you know, not, not allowed to take booze into, into uh, the stadiums in Scotland. Well, you're probably not allowed to take booze into a stadium anywhere now so they would probably much rather that you bought it in the ground. But, mm. um, but yeah, that, I remember, but no, I don't remember anybody searching us. Or anything? No, no. Yeah, I think I've I've been searched a couple of times going into a a ground, um, usually Ibrox, I think, but it's always just a customary kind of pat down. If you know what I mean, it's not really a proper search. It's just a someone just kind of fulfilling their job in terms of just a quick pat down (laughs) to check you haven't got a AK forty seven under your jacket or something like that. But you could probably quite easily smuggle anything else in. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised they allowed letting you in with food, to be honest, to the football stadium. Well, yeah, you would think they would want you to buy food in there, right? They'd like to buy a pie or whatever in there and yeah. bring your own stuff in. I don't know if it's still like this now, because I've not been out in a nightclub in Glasgow for years and years. But I remember you used to, when we went to the garage, you used to always have to empty your pockets before you went in to make sure you didn't have any knives or drugs or whatever. Um, and then they would, mm. you would, you would empty your pockets and then they would, they would like, Kind of pat you down, make sure you have anything like stuck in your sock or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of it to be honest, because uh, I don't really like being touched, <laughs> especially by somebody I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, it's, how about you? Have you ever smuggled it? Oh, well, well I, mean, I know you tried to smuggle a copy of like Nuts magazine into Dubai. And you got busted. That was a genuine accident, like a genuine <laughs> accident that I forgot it was in my rucksack. I meant to get rid of it before then. Um, no, I mean obviously the usual. I think in terms of maybe smuggling, you know, foodstuffs back to. Dubai probably and I, I was never one for like smuggling bacon or sausages or anything no. but we probably I mean I used to take a lot of rowies back and obviously they're made with lard which I guess is a pork product so probably would be illegal to smuggle <laughs> them to the country um, but no I've never been like an international drug smuggler or anything yeah um, 
apart from maybe the usual of maybe smuggling stuff into a nightclub. Um, but uh, <laughs> never, that's not really, yeah, smuggling. Yeah. Um, but no, um, I, I've never been used as a mule, like the people are using kids yeah. as a mule to just smuggle in their pyrotechnics so no yeah. but uh i'm sure they'll uh, they'll come up with new ways to to get these things into the stadiums but I, if what my opinion just fucking quit it you know there's no need for it it's a yeah. pain in the arse spoiling anyway. it for everybody <laughs> exactly okay uh what else have you seen this week greg so my next one is uh you know if, if, every now and again we have a bit of a unexplained sort of supernaturally type story. Um, we had one about the we had one about the uh, the Loch Ness monster the other week. Uh, well, th- this one is about UFOs. Investigators believe that a Scot could hold an important clue to one of the world's biggest UFO mysteries. The famous Calvine photo, C A L V I N E, it was taken in Perth or Perthshire rather in 1990. And it's regarded as one of the clearest UFO pictures ever taken. But it's at the centre of a mystery after images sent to the Ministry of Defence disappeared. But one certified copy emerged last year showing a diamond-shaped object in the sky above Persia, believed by some to be the world's, uh, quotation marks, best ever UFO photo. The day the record has been told that the person who took the photo was a young Glaswegian called Kevin Russell, who was working as a porter at the Pitlochry Hydro Hotel at the time. Kevin and her friends were left terrified by the 100-foot-long aircraft, which they said hovered above the A9 near Calvine for 10 minutes and then soared off at high speed when it was buzzed by RAF jets. Uh, investigator Michael Ilsley told Matthew Ilsley, I beg your pardon, told the record the identity of Kevin Russell, the photographer, remained a secret for 33 years until now. Who would very much like him to come forward to confirm once and for all that what he saw was real. The Calvin incident remains one of the most confounding UFO mysteries in history. They may not prove there is life on Mars, but no one has ever argued that. The more likely truth lies with human aircraft advancements that were covered up by the Ministry of Defence and US intelligence agencies. He added, The case is not about little green men or an aerial Loch Ness monster. It's potentially a piece of military history that can be unlocked once and for all. Ilsley said Kevin would likely be in his 50s now. Hotel colleagues who were tracked down, tracked down, said he returned to to Glasgow in the early 90s. Exhaustive research by the UFO hunters involved contacting 150 Kevin Russells in Britain, (laughs) Australia, the US and Canada and about 300 more Scots called Russell. None confirmed that they were the right man. Ilsley said that the Calvine file should have been released after 30 years in 2021, but the Ministry of Defence blocked the release of key details until 2076 due to, quotation marks, privacy concerns. Some UFO experts believe the object is a secret US reconnaissance aircraft named uh, Aurora, a silent supersonic spycraft. The photo of Kevin, the photo of Kevin was supplied to Ilsley recently by a person who worked at the Pitlochry Hydro in 1990. It was revealed last year that former Ministry of Defence press officer Craig Lindsay had worked on the case when the photos originally came to light. But to the astonishment of UFO buffs, he kept a copy of the photo that was produced at the Daily Records Glasgow office at the time of the original prints and negatives being handed to the Ministry of Defence. When tracked down last year, he said, I've been waiting for someone to contact me this for more than 30 years. Uh, the photo we published today has appeared in international publication. A copy was supplied 
to an expert at Hallam University who believes it to be genuine. Hallam Professor Professor David Clark, a UFO investigator who has worked with Ministry of Defence, traced down a retired military British military intelligence source who told him the diamond-shaped craft was real. The sources said he flew to Scotland to meet the witnesses and insisted he discovered the craft was American in the course of his own 1990 probe. The source was adamant the craft was a stealthy, ultra-high-tech, ultra-secret, ultra-secret surveillance and target designation platform. The craft could, he claimed, stay at a high altitude for a long time, guiding stealth bombers to targets on the ground. In the original telling of the Calvine story, Kevin and a hotel worker went to the spot during time off. They told RAF's Craig Lindsay they went through a copse, climbed a fence to Moorland and that's where they saw the craft. They saw the diamond hovering in silence. After a minute or two, they saw a Harrier jet go over northwards at high altitude. A minute or two later, it came back southwards at low altitude and circled the staff at low speed. So, I think I know what happened here. (laughs) 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 What what do you think happened here then, Greg? Well, first of all, right, um, for something to fly, if you think about it, right, uh, birds fly, right, and all birds, regardless of what type of bird they are, are a sort of similar winged kind of shape, right? And if you think about mm-hmm. aeroplanes, they're, they're they're sort of bird-shaped, right? They have wings. They, If you think mm-hmm. the, the fuselage could be the bird's body or whatever. Helicopters are... I, I, can, only, I can only imagine helicopters are modelled after fucking daddy long legs. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but, uh, but the planes are obviously modelled after birds. So, like, a, how the fuck is a... Does a diamond-shaped object stay in the sky right what's alien technology or or like super futuristic american technology but but it's not an aerodynamic it's not an aerodynamic shape how's it up there in the first place does it get launched from a catapult or what yeah look i saw flight of the navigator that was kind of like a big oval kind of shape and that flew fine so obviously um uh an imperial star destroyer is like a triangle shape and that manages to fly so yeah but that, i don't know but, but it flies in space where there's no gravity this is this is the, yeah. this is flying in like above above perthshire <laughs> it's like hundreds of gravity yeah. <laughs> you could see them they were flying above hoth um and they were they were managing okay mm. so i guess um do you think this is all bollocks then i think or just... i think it's utter bollocks i think that kevin and his pal <laughs> I've had a day off. They've gone up there. They're fucking. <laughs> they've they've got a big bag of mushrooms. They said, "Let's go up. Let's go up into the countryside with, with like a, maybe like twelve cans of lager and a big bag of mushrooms. Spend our day off just looking at the sky." And uh, I've decided to play a bit of a, a hoax um, on the world, which because we're also fucking keen to believe in this hokum, um, it's being taken seriously, or collectively keen to believe in it, it's being taken seriously. So you're saying Kevin and his mate have basically had an elephant's graveyard day, and <laughs> yeah. rather than... The, the scene with them um, when they imagine kind of the Apaches attacking the cowboys and stuff, they've invented this space aliens. They're, they're imagining Bucky O'Hare is <laughs> yeah. flying above them and... Uh, <laughs> Bucky O'Hare. Come on. <laughs> Who the fuck is... I mean, talk about t- t- talk about a modern reference. Jesus. Well, you, you got it. So. <laughs> Obviously. If you remember Bucky O'Hare, please get in touch. Yeah. Uh, culturesmiley at gmail.com. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I suspect you're right. I think they've probably had a, a little bit, yeah, maybe they've seen something. And yeah. Maybe they've just believed what they've seen. I don't know. Yeah. Who's who's to say? Have you, I mean, have, have you ever seen anything in the sky that you couldn't really explain when you've been going about at night? No. That's it, I have. Me neither. Genuinely. Yeah. Never seen anything. Believe me, um, I, I fucking looked for this guy. <laughs> never seen anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do often see like a, a jet stream or something and I wonder like, how, where's that come from? Or, you know mm. what I mean? Like you yeah. kind of see the, 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 the tail end of like the, the fumes or something and you wonder, well, it's a bit of a strange shape and there's no plane around. But yeah. my instant thought isn't, oh, it must be Bucky O'Hare. Um or you know some sort of space ranger, yeah, well, um, Roger Ramjet or something like that. <laughs> was he in space? Was he? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, That's kind of um, yeah I, that, that wouldn't be my first thought. So no, I don't think I've ever seen anything strange in the sky. I mean, I've seen like a shooting star or something, but mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays it's normally going to be some fucking bunch of cunts that have set off Chinese lanterns or something. Yeah. is the the more likely explanation. Or personal drones. Sure. Oh yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um my daughter, my youngest daughter, um, is quite interested in astronomy and uh, we bought her a telescope recently and we were we said we set it up for for her a couple of weeks ago because it was supposed to be I'm trying to remember they were saying in the news that one night a couple of weeks ago you were able to see like a few of the planets really clearly just because of where they were in the sky um so we said, I'm just I'm just going to say it now was it Uranus <laughs> I can't remember I can't remember the planet okay. oh. I just I just wanted to get that out of the way <laughs> I was only I, I was only sort of half paying attention when um when uh, my my wife was excitedly explaining it to me um but I did go and have a wee look at the moon through the telescope and I've got to say it's ah. fucking mint it is really cool looking at the sky through the, through a good telescope I, I really enjoyed it um, although unfortunately living in Dubai the skies are not as clear as we enjoy in the Scottish countryside so she's taking it back with her we're going back to Scotland in a couple of weeks she's going to take it back hmm. with her and we're going to see what we can see in the in the sky above Aberdeenshire we're back there for a week so that is our uh, quote for the episode the moon is mint <laughs> it does is, um... <laughs> it does it looks class <laughs> Um, uh, speaking about of astronomy, it's come up on my uh, on my uh, uh, Google here that Mystic Meg, uh, late of the sun, um, as the sun's mm. uh, fortune teller, has died, uh, aged eighty yeah. after a battle with short illness. So sorry to hear that, yeah. Meg. Uh, that was uh, that was a deep shame in terms of Mystic Meg passing away. She was massive at the you know ninety six. 96 I mean when was the lottery launched 95 95 95, I mean like I've been around about 95 96 Mr Meg was fucking huge wasn't she what did she used to say and somebody with a red jumper will be celebrating too remember she had that weird sort of delivery um, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. There's loads of bad taste tweets going about right now about whether she saw it coming and all that kind of thing. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, someone. As soon as I read she passed away, I was like, "Where's going to be the first person um, to to say she saw it coming?" And literally everything I've seen about it on social media. People have made that joke, and it's like, really? Could yeah. you not have thought of something better? And they're going to wheel that out when Russell Grant passes away as well. Um, is that it? Could you name any other astrologers or like psychics? It's it's basically Mystic Meg and Russell Grant. Russell Grant. That's pretty much it. That's yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was um, was there someone else? There was a Scottish guy, wasn't there? Um, Frank something. I want to say maybe. I can't, like, I can't remember. <clears throat> he looked a bit like Peter Sutcliffe. <laughs> yeah. It does ring a bell. Um, I mean, the problem is, is that I tend to think that that star signs and all that are a lot of bollocks as well. So I don't really pay 
pay a lot of attention um, to the. Although, I mean, I've got to be honest. As much as I, as much as I do, I don't really subscribe to it. If I've got a newspaper, which is very rare these days, I will have a look at my stars just to see, you know. Right. So you say it's all bollocks, but you will read them it's and look at them. Yeah, just out of curiosity. You know? Okay. Because the thing is, I mean, I, I would quite like, I would quite like all that sort of stuff to be true. So, but just like you know, so like I'll read it to try and validate it. Oh, actually, I'll, I was going to do that today. <laughs> you know what I mean, or something. Um, but uh, yeah, just in my heart of hearts, I just, I'm just too cynical. Do you think? Because you often read stuff like about the your star sign, and I, I will. I mean, I don't read my horoscope or anything, but I do remember when I was younger, you would read like, oh, so the traits of a Pisces is, and you would read it and you'd be like, fucking hell, that is me. But, Mm. you know, you never read anybody else's star sign, but I bet if you went and read something, you'd be like, oh, that's a bit like me as well, actually. Oh, yeah, I do do that too. Oh, yeah, so I'm a bit of a mix, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes gives certain people license to behave like arseholes, because I used to go out... (laughs) I used to like that my ex girlfriend from Aberdeen, who you who you knew, uh, was mm. a Gemini, and apparently one of the traits of Gemini's because Gemini are the twins is to be a little, you know, sort of mixed personality ish or quick to emotional, quick to anger and stuff. And uh, it was like her get out of jail free card for acting like a fucking dick was well what do you expect am a Ge- what do you expect am a gemini <laughs> do you know what i mean so, fuck's sake yeah it's one of our ma- one of our many glaring character flaws oh <laughs> uh, dear well um, funnily enough greg um we can continue the alien chat because oh. my next story is also about ufos and aliens <laughs> what a bit of a strange coincidence <laughs> that we have here uh, so this is from the <laughs> i love that you found this by the way it's from the scottish daily star um from last week and the headline is uk town becomes nation's ufo hotspot with six thousand claiming to have had close encounters uh so a town is demanding a government probe i don't know if it's going to be anal (laughs) into why it has become britain's ufo hotspot with six thousand people claiming to have close encounters over 300 sightings of mystery craft in the skies above bonnie bridge near sterling in scotland are reported every year reports of crop circles strange objects in the sky and even alien abductions have plagued the scottish town for the past 20 years now local councillor billy buchanan that's a fucking great name yeah, isn't yeah. It? a scottish councillor <laughs> yeah. billy buchanan yeah he wants he wants a government investigation he said i still don't know what it could be is it military we don't know but we demand to know good on you billy uh yeah Councillor Buchanan told YouTube documentary makers that so-called UFO experts from around the world have visited the town to investigate, but no one can explain the Falkirk Triangle's high number of sightings, which began in 1992 when a motorist reported a craft floating over the road. One explanation uh, could be that sightings were used as an excuse to skive off work. (laughs) (laughs) HR bosses, genuinely, HR bosses have revealed that more and more workers have been trying to take time off by claiming they were visited by aliens. (laughs) They said they saw a huge spike in the number of people claiming they needed to take time off because they were abducted over the last year. Some of them even claimed they had been experimented on, whilst others said they'd been taken to another planet. Even more brazen staff members told bosses they wouldn't be coming in because they wanted to go and hunt 
for little green men. Alan Price, CEO of HR software company Experts Bright HR, told the Daily Star, Surely the bosses whose employees called in sick due to having been inducted by aliens or seen a ghost saw green? It may not have been just saucers that went flying in that workplace. Oh, <laughs> Alan, you're hilarious. Uh, so yeah, so apparently there is a, an absolute UFO hotspot in Bonnie Bridge. And yeah, people are... Uh, would you, as an employer, if some one of your members of staff phoned in and was like, oh, I, I can't come in today, I got abducted by aliens last night. You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, like, years ago, that sort of shit wouldn't have flown <laughs> at all. You know what I mean? Even much like, much like your triangular-shaped uh, craft. <laughs> exactly, my diamond-shaped bloody like, super spy plane, whatever it is. But you, you, you do know where Bonnie Bridge is, right? You yeah. Know, you, know yeah, what, do, yeah. You, you know what it's close to, right? What? Fal- you? It's close to Falkirk. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the Falkirk Triangle. Yeah. <laughs> As they said, it's part of the Falkirk Triangle. So we've got the Bermuda Triangle, and now we have the Falkirk Triangle. So, do, 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 do. so b- bantamweight world champion Billy Buchanan wants a, a proper probe, does he? <laughs> he does, yeah. Billy Buchanan uh, is demanding a proper probe into this. He, he needs to get an investigation into what's happening here. And, and you know, good on him. I, I agree with him. I think that there has to be some sort of, of proper probe into this because <laughs> people people need answers as to why everyone's seeing these these strange objects in the sky. Again, it's probably a fucking Chinese lantern or a drone. Yeah. See if see if somebody told you that Billy Buchanan was after you, you'd fucking shit yourself, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you would. Yeah, that's a light proper. That's the you know to go back to the last episode, probably just because it's fresh in my mind because we recorded it two days ago. That's the kind of name you would you would hear in a chip shop, and you'd yeah. be like, oh fuck, Billy Buchanan. Oh fuck. Yeah, yeah he sounds like a bare knuckle boxer it or does. something. Yeah. Like a yeah. It's maybe just something that can be canon. Yeah, um, but <laughs> like, yeah, Billy Buchanan. He's a oh, he's a fucking nutcase. But you get good gear from him, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, speaking of Ken Buchanan, do you remember how um, Frankie and Benny used to have uh, lots of old black and white photographs and sports programs and sports pictures mm. up in the wall in the bar, and they had boxing pictures and yeah. things like Rocky Marciano mm-hmm. and. Muhammad Ali and stuff. Ken Buchanan used to come into the Frankie and Benny's in Glasgow that I worked at at the Key every now and oh. again. And um, he came, came in one day with a black and white photograph of himself uh, when he was <laughs> when he was uh, when he was competing, and um, he uh, stuck it in what he kind of pushed it into one of the frames of uh, Jake the Motter or something like that, and said, "Oh, I've just got my own picture up there. I hope that's all right." And we're like, "Yeah, you fill your boots. It's <laughs> you know, go for it." That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, did he think it was because it's normally like a dry cleaner or like a Chinese restaurant you see those types of photos? <laughs> yeah. but he's obviously <laughs> gone for it in um, yeah, yeah. his local Frankie and Penny's. That's a lovely. That's a sweet story. I like that. It was a nice. Oh. It was it was a nice fella, Ken. Because I mean, he, he didn't come in like all the time, but when he when he did come in, he was always very friendly, nice to the staff and all that kind of thing, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, lovely. But yeah, yeah. I guess you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him because I bet he was still pretty fucking handy even at, in his advanced <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. Well, he does. He, he, he knocks out Bobby the Barman and Steve the Bookie in uh, that episode of Still Game that he cameos in, doesn't he? Of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's it for UFO sightings in Scotland. I mean, obviously, quite a, a hub of, of, you know, yeah. activity you know we've got Loch Ness Monster we've got all these UFO sightings I can't believe 
people are phoning into work saying they've been abducted by aliens, though. Well, there was also a link, and there was also a link on the article that I read from my story a moment ago about the about the photograph um, to the go the the ghost of a green lady smiling at the camera in a governed pub. Um, yeah, I know. did read about this this morning. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah. yeah. Okay, can't imagine. Just, they've got, I wouldn't have thought a green lady would get served in a govern pub. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, to be fair, it did say that they had uh, the investigators were over from Ireland to investigate, so maybe that's why she appeared oh, uh, right, okay. green. But yeah, yeah, right. That's a that's a good point uh, yeah, yeah. in terms of the green lady in a govern <laughs> pub. Very well, very good. Cool. Okay. Um, have you seen anything else this week then, Greg? Nope, that's okay, it. Okay, wonderful. Right. Well, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. Now we are window fitters. We only fit the best. We work for Balmore Glazing. Insist on Balmore quality. All our units are custom built in one of our nine factories throughout central Scotland with a choice of frame, top quality finish, safety locks as standard, and of course a free 10 year warranty. For a no obligation quote, dial 100 and ask for free phone Balmore. And if you'd like to sponsor the Culture Swally, then get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail.com or follow us on Culture Swally Pod on Instagram. So it was your choice for this episode, Nikki. Why don't you introduce uh, this week's Oh, first? thank you very much, Greg. Yes, uh, today it was kind of a, a listener inspiration, I think I explained on the last episode of the pod. So it was from our listener, Andy, in Finland, who I'd, I'd spoken to on Instagram, and he didn't request this as such, but in the conversation he mentioned it, and it kind of planted a little acorn in my head of, of you know, I'd like to do that one day. So today we're going to be talking about the 2014 Scottish musical romantic drama written and directed by Bell and Sebastian frontman Stuart Murdoch, God Help the Girl. Uh, the film was born out of uh, an album and a project that Stuart produced in 2009 with the same name, God Help the Girl, uh, which Stuart wrote and played all the instruments on, but featured a number of female vocalists. Uh, the film tells the story of Eve, an Australian girl in Glasgow, who is in hospital dealing with some emotional problems and starts writing songs as a way of trying to cope and trying to get better. Songwriting becomes her way forward and leads her to the city, where she meets musicians James and Cassie. The three form an immediate bond and decide to start a band. Released in August 2014, God Help the Girl received a bit of a mixed review, um, but it was seen as a must-watch for fans of the band Belle and Sebastian. So, Greg, you mentioned on the last episode that you hadn't seen this before. So what did you, uh, what did you think of God Help the Girl? Uh, I didn't know, I, I knew a little bit about it because I heard Stuart Murdoch being interviewed by Adam Buxton a few months ago in his podcast, mm. and he, they, they spoke about it. Uh, I actually really liked it. I really, really liked it. Mm. I mean, it's, it is like a big, I mean, it's essentially like one big long music video with a few talking scenes in it, but um, mm. no, I like it. I mean, I, I've always quite liked uh, Emily Browning. I think she's quite a, I, I always, you know, she's, she's, she's a good actress, you know. I was a bit worried. I think we might have a, a Rachel Vice <laughs> kind of thing, but from my side on this episode, maybe yeah. Greg. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I I knew that she was going to be in it, and I was a bit worried that she might be 
doing a Scottish accent because I had seen her in Legends uh, with um, Tom Hardy, the one about the craze, where she plays uh, Reggie's uh, girlfriend and then wife. And her her Cockney accent isn't great. And I was about thought, oh, I hope she's not going to do a Scottish accent. And then at the start of the film, I thought she was trying to do a kind of English accent in the first maybe 20 minutes of it. And then mm-hmm. she just sort of seemed to slip into her normal accent. And then it's established that she's from Australia and she's moved to Scotland and all that kind of thing. Um, but no, I, I liked it. I, I liked the cast. I, I liked Ollie Alexander as well. I don't think I'd seen him in anything before. Um and obviously uh, Hannah Murray from um, Skins. Uh, and the funny thing is, I'm, sh- I'm sure in Skins, her character's name was Cassie as yes, well. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, sort of coincidentally. Yeah. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. And one thing that I didn't know, what, that I was blown away by in the first few minutes of it, my old friend from when I lived in Aberdeenshire, Lee, plays the drums in James's band in the Barrowlands. There's a fight with him. Lee Thompson. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, I, wow. yeah. I haven't seen Fantastic. him. I haven't seen him for fucking years. But Lee, um, Lee's mum used to give me guitar lessons when I lived in uh, in Maud in Aberdeenshire, and I, and his sister Audrey was in my class. Her, I was actually better friends with Audrey than I was with Lee because he's a couple of years older than me. But yeah, it was great. He plays the drums in Camera Obscura. Lee and there's and the other two mm. guys on the stage are from Camera Obscura as well. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they're all mates, like because they're all Glasgow bands. Mm. You know, it's got one of the best lines of the film when uh, he's yeah. fighting with James and he says you're a bloody tea drinker pal it <laughs> 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 does oh good I'm glad you, you enjoyed it because I yeah I really enjoyed this as well mm-hmm. um, I think obviously uh, and we will talk about Bell and Sebastian and kind of our, our affection for the band later but I, I think the music is obviously great um, mm-hmm. in points a, a couple of songs in particular absolutely love one or two maybe i could do without but this it it, it really combines like a it, it is an old-fashioned musical and i know we've we've spoken about musicals on the swally before like Anna and the apocalypse mm-hmm. or sunshine and leaf and there are i don't I, i'm not really a big fan of musicals but i think if they're done right and i think this is done right everything is kind of different so the, the first song for example is you know eve singing to the camera and and but it doesn't feel forced it kind of feels natural mm-hmm. in a way I'm not taken out. I always think back to just the Sunshine on Leith, just the two of them just all of a sudden bursting into song at the start and it just seems so cheesy and corny. But for some reason in this, it, it, it worked. And I liked the way they, they kind of mix things up. Like some of the songs genuinely felt like a, a, a music video. And I, you know, yeah. the, this one of the songs, the three of them are in kind of a field all dressed in tartan and, you know, they're running around and it, it just felt natural in a way. Mm-hmm. And really kind of cool. I, I I really liked it. Um, so it combined with like an old fashioned musical, but with like a modern angst risen like yeah. coming of age movie. Um, and 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 it just had this gentle kind of low key Scottishness about it as well. And I I really quite liked because I I was quite concerned going into it, thinking right, you've got three main characters, the, the three main cast, one Australian, two are English. Mm. How is this going to work? And I genuinely did think, you know, is is Ollie Alexander going to be doing like a shortbread accent or something? Yeah, yeah. I really liked the way that they handled that and they, they established, you know, that Eve is Australian, uh-huh. um, Cassie's English, and James was born in Scotland, but he moved to England when he was six months old and, you know, has moved back for university. And it's so established. None of them are Scottish, but they're they're all there living in Glasgow and it, it works as well though. Like it, I I genuinely didn't feel at any point like, oh, 
this isn't a Scottish film. It, I, I, I really admired kind of the way they did it. And I think, I think initially, because I did watch an interview with, with Stuart Murdoch, and I, I do think they maybe were going for a Scottish cast, but the actors were just so right that they, they ended up rewriting it. And I think that was when they cast Emily Browning, they did say that it, she kind of blew him away. And, and that's why he was like, okay, we need to do a little bit of a rewrite there because okay, yeah. she's from Australia. Because I don't think that was ever the intention. I think, um, you know, they, to go back to the Sunshine and Leaf piece, I think, you know, they, they saw... The songs, I know this. Maybe a lot of the songs come from the album, which came out sort of five years before the, the the project that you mentioned before that Stuart Murdoch did. But the thing is with Sunshine and Leith is the songs that are in that are all really well known Proclaimers songs, and they feel sort of shoehorned in. Whereas with with, with this, the story, you know, like there's no kind of. You know, I think the first time she sings Emily Browning or Eve rather sings to James when he when they're starting to get to know each other he says you know so do you often just start singing to people so it's kind of you know it's so it's not like you know like sometimes in musicals they'll sing a song to sort of move the story on but they they never you know there'll be a big song and dance and all that but they never sort of they never sort of like acknowledge that they've just been singing um yeah you know they this i think it seemed a lot more relaxed and, you know, you said something interesting on the last episode with the Beautiful Creatures and you said, you know, this could have been, it didn't really necessarily have to be Glasgow. It could have been anywhere, really. But I think what comes out in the way Stuart Murdoch directs this film is that he, he fucking, I mean, and I could be wrong about this, but I certainly get the impression that he fucking loves Glasgow, especially mm the West End because he's yeah. he's just having a field day you know he shoots all over the West End he's shooting in Byers Road he shoots in the Great Western Road he shoots in the Botanic Gardens he goes into town and shoots at the Barrowlands he's in Central Station you know you, you feel I really felt you know he, the way he the way he the way he sets up the scenes and things and the sort of tracking shots and the scene setting shots that he does that he's got a real a real love for Glasgow and wants to put it up there on a the screen. I've know? never seen Glasgow look so beautiful mm. in a film. It, yeah. he, it's incredible. And that, like I say, I, I love Glasgow and adore it, but we've spoken many times on the Swally about how Edinburgh is, you know, such a picturesque and beautiful city. And, and, and that's one thing Sunshine and Leith does. It looks so beautiful. And there's quite a few films we've covered that Edinburgh's been in. You know, Angel Share, I think, um, mm-hmm. did a very good job as well. And um, a few other films that we've done even t2 you know that when they're running up arthur's seat you know yeah. just looks beautiful but the way that he shot and I, I guess it did help that they shot this over a summer because it's it's very sunny in a lot of places but yeah. glasgow usually looks a bit drab i mean of course we've discussed before you know glasgow is often used as like gotham city and stuff yeah like it's meant to be like a a dirty kind of seedy shithole mm-hmm. but glasgow just looks absolutely incredible in the shots that he's he's done in this like when they're in the botanic gardens and even when they're just walking down the streets when like cassie's just turning a cor- cassie sorry eve just turning a corner when she's um approaching the van to give the tape to, to anton yeah the, the way the sun's shining off the building it just looks beautiful yeah it got, they've obviously got a really good summer <laughs> you know yeah uh, you know i think there's only, there's only one scene where uh emily's hair's um emily eve's hair is like wet you know i think the scene when she's coming to tell toward the end when she's coming to tell James that she's going to apply for a music 
college in London. Um, mm. Yeah, they've, like, he's been really lucky with the weather. And this the scenes near the middle of the film when they take the kayak down the River Kelvin. Mm. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know where he ended up getting those guys when on, on the river, but there were some absolutely amazing bits of uh, countryside and, and sort of riverside, yeah. you know, that, uh, that, they, that, that, that he captured. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's great. And, you know, like that whole sort of, it, it, you know, it sort of nods a wee bit to that whole sort of, Kind of mid mid early to mid eighties Glasgow music scene with like Orange Juice and Aztec Camera mm. and Altered Images and all those bands that that, that had their that had a kind of moment in the early to mid eighties. You know, I think there's still a scene in Glasgow very much so, but you know they've not had the sort of success that those guys have had. I don't think even Bell and Sebastian really. I mean, you, you and I could probably talk for a good hour just about be- just about. Bell and Sebastian, and I know that a lot of people that we know probably wouldn't know any of their songs. <laughs> you know no. I mean? like, m- m- maybe the boy with the Arab strap. But that's probably it. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, that leads me to ask actually, like, what are your first memories of Bell and Sebastian? I, I know we are both fans of the band, like, and I am uh, a big Bell and Sebastian fan. But do you remember? Because I, I vividly remember the first time I heard them. Well, the first, the first time I heard them. I think it was on, uh, what was the DJ called that used to do a sort of indie show on North Sound on like a Sunday, like in the evening? Uh, Jim Gellantly. Jim Gellantly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's him, Jim Gellantly. So I think he, the first, he was playing, I think it was When You're Feeling, it was either Tiger Milk or When You're Feeling Sinister. I think it was When You're Feeling Sinister. That was the first, Mm. I think he played like, maybe three songs off the album on his show. Because um, mm-hmm. we used to, when, I, when I worked in the pub on a Sunday night, it was always like fucking dead. So we'd just stick the radio on over the speakers um, instead of the bloody Carpenter's CD that the, the guy that owned the pub used to like to play. And I'm sure, I, I feel like that was, I feel like that's the first time that I heard, I heard them. What about you? I, I mean, I was aware of them. I'd heard of Bell and Sebastian, but I'd never really heard them. Um, uh-huh. And I was a bit late. Like they had like three albums out, like Tiger Milk, If You're Feeling Sinister and, the boy with the Arab strap were already out. Yeah. Um, and it was actually when I was in Norwich. Um, yeah. And I, I guess it's because at that time I was still into kind of the, when Tiger Milk and that came out, I was still kind of in the the end of Britpop kind of phase. Uh-huh. And then I went into like a, a big hip hop phase for a while. Like mm-hmm. just, this is like Eminem, Snoop, Dre, Moss uh-huh. Def type thing. Um, but I'll, I genuinely will never forget the first time I heard Bell and Sebastian. And it's because um, I'd, I'd been out in Norwich with a couple of friends. And let's just say we'd, we'd been out clubbing and we'd, we'd really enjoyed our night. Like we'd <laughs> had a, a, a really good night and we were feeling very happy um, at the end of the evening. Like, like very happy. Um, and we went back to my friend Andy's flat to have a smoke to, to you know, because we were so happy. Yeah, to, yeah. Just calm so down maybe a bit. calm down, yeah. calm down a little bit because yeah. we're so happy. Um, and and yeah, he he pulled out the CD. He's like, "Have you heard this?" And it was Tiger Milk, mm-hmm. and he put it on. And I guess it was just a combination of the chemicals that were flowing through <laughs> my body and the the grass. And I was just absolutely blown away. I was like, "This is this is just the greatest thing I think I've ever heard in my life." Like it's just you know Stuart Murdoch's voice, just so beautiful and yeah. just wraps around you. Um, and yeah, and and then I think he he put on after that he put on if you're feeling sinister, you know we just sat there and listened to to Bell and Sebastian and yeah I think like the next day I went and bought their albums, yeah. um and yeah been a fan since and as you say we could probably talk from about them for hours but they're just oh, they're such a beautiful band and as you say they're they're kind of they're well known but not that 
Well, no, in a way. I mean, I think people know them, but exactly as you said, if you were to ask a, f- a few of our friends about their favourite Bell and Sebastian song, they'd probably say, what, is that the, the cartoon with the dog and the boy? Yeah, I know, exactly. No, I think, you know, I mean, I like, uh, you know, there's a there's a big place in my, in my playlists for just sort of really, really... Uh, kind of sort of gentle but not soft um, kind of music. You know what I mean? Like Stuart Murdoch, when you hear him, when I was listening to him in an interview with Adam Buxton, he's quite sort of self-depreciating. He's got quite a sort of dry mm. sense of humour. Yeah. But he seems like quite at ease with himself. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. they, I think they've got a new, they released a new album last year, Bell and Sebastian, didn't they? Um, cause they, they released one about a month ago as well. Right. Okay. Maybe it was this yeah, which year, I've yeah. downloaded, but I haven't had a chance to listen to. They, they um they they released one last year, but they've released one about a month ago. Um, right. they kind of recorded them both, I think, during lockdown. And um, but yeah, I haven't had a chance to to properly listen to it, but I did download it. So yeah, I need to get into that. But yeah, I think he is, and and that's the thing when you listen to Bell and Sebastian, like a lot of lyrics are genuinely hilarious. Yeah. But the way it's delivered is like I say, one of my favorite Bell and Sebastian albums is Dear Catastrophe Waitress. And it is a bit of a kind of ridiculous album, but it's got some great songs on it as well. And yeah, I just, ah, I fucking love Bell and Sebastian. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to go down a a proper rabbit hole. And I think I will after this. Yeah. And that's what leaks into this film. Like the music is, is really good. Yeah, it's great. And I I listened to the album before I watched the film because I I had some stuff to do. I I just watched the film this afternoon, sort of late morning, early afternoon, and I had some stuff to do in the kitchen first thing so I listened to the original album um, when I was doing that before before the film and I kind of thought to myself well I wonder if Emily Browning's going to be singing in this or if she's going to be miming um, you know and, and then when when because like when she first sort of drops out the window at the start of the film and she's kind of crouched mm. down and she starts singing I was I was like sort of looking I was trying to like sort of catch her out and then just I had to be looking online and she sings like all the songs live you know yeah. what I mean? And she's yeah. she's got a really 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 nice voice, and I, I, and I had a wee look on her Wikipedia because I thought I wonder if she's done any music as a result of this. You know, because I could imagine that you know somebody would give her some songs to sing, and she'd probably get an album out of it. But um, she didn't seem to have done any any other music. Yeah, stuff. I watched the uh, the making of. Um, there's like a five part thing on YouTube. Uh, the making of. Um, God help the girl, and that was one of the things that that Stuart was kind of adamant about. the The actress had to sing, and they had to sing live. And yeah. Emily did say she was a bit daunted by that, but once they did like the first take, then it was fine. You kind of got into it, yeah. and that was uh, something I thought was quite amusing. They they did the auditions for it, and they did say on the kind of call sheet, "No Bell and Sebastian songs." Yeah, like when you come in to to Bruce, it's. I, and funnily enough, quite a few people still came in and sang a Bell and Sebastian song. He's like, immediately, it didn't matter how good they were, it was a red mark through their name. Right. Because it said, I don't want to hear a Bell and Sebastian song. Yeah. Um, and I think he, he said he was really impressed with Eve. Uh, Eve, sorry, Emily. Um, and, and Emily apparently didn't even read the script for this before she auditioned. She just knew. She's like, what? It's, it's, so it's Stuart Murdoch who's written the songs and he's going to be directing it. She's apparently a massive Bell and Sebastian fan. Right. Um, and she immediately was like, yeah, no, 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 I want to do this. And so sent in an audition tape. Um, and apparently it was the same with Ollie Alexander. He came into the audition and he actually sang one of his own songs, which Stuart was so impressed with. Because I guess it was like maybe like an X Factor audition, you know, people were probably coming in and singing, you know, anything. The yeah. least edge. I was going to say Ed Sheeran, but this was 2014. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, whatever yeah. the, the day, Leon Jackson or something. Um, 
Uh, so, but yeah, the fact Ollie came in and sang like his own song really impressed Stuart and basically just kind of offered him on the spot. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I was genuinely really impressed with Emily Brown singing because yeah. she's got a beautiful voice and it suits the song so well. I would say Hannah Murray, not quite so much. There's the couple just, of songs she sings, yeah. uh, not, not quite bad. as good, but she's not bad. But yeah. I think compared to Emily Browning, um, she's just, yeah, it's such a beautiful voice. And it, it's just the, the playfulness. The, the first song, you know, when she's on the train and has the, the glasses on and she's doing the kind of, you know, maths and physics thing on the chalkboard and singing to the camera, you just you instantly kind of fall in love with Eve because she's just, just this beautiful voice. She's so playful and, you know, she's absolutely gorgeous as well. But you just kind of instantly kind of fall in love with the character. Well, she's got and a- then, of course, you... So I was going to say she's got a really good look as well. Do you know what I mean? Like the way they've the way they've dressed her, well, and not just her, but like all of them. You know, like, and yeah. maybe especially her and James. You know, like the wardrobe and all that. It's a really, really, really good look. You know, she really. Yeah, she looks like she looks like a, an artist. You know? Yeah, I did make a note actually. I quite like James's burgundy Harrington jacket, and I'd need to maybe try and find one of those because <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it. Um, yeah, but she's um, and, and of course you you think she's this you know confident character, and you wonder what's going on, and then you find out she's in the hospital because she has an eating disorder, and mm. she's effectively broken out to to go to this this gig that night, and instantly it's quite a shocker when you you just then see her in her underwear being weighed and you're like holy shit you know i didn't realize Mm. and i think that's what a lot of people probably don't realize about people with eating disorders and i think for such a a really heavy topic to to cover and i think they handle it really well in this they don't kind of exploit it and it's 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 handled i think in a in a really caring and 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 good way as well and and it also shows up the scottish health system as well in terms of you know they are really helping and it's not a criticism on them or anything and of course eve escapes a couple of times but i i thought they handled it really sensitively in what could be a a very you know deep topic to discuss yeah for sure um and you know this i guess the sort of message is that uh you know art and music can can help you overcome these sort of uh condition you know i mean i I read a few of the reviews for it and uh, one woman writing for uh, pitchfork which is uh online music uh sort of magazine she, she 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 calls the film or she sort of accuses the film of romanticizing eating the Orders. And I was thinking to myself, because I, I, I watched it with my daughter, um, who's 14, and I don't think, I think it does like the opposite of it. You know, they, you see Eve, that you mentioned it before, when she's in, you know, they, the first act of the film where she's in the, she goes back to the hospital and she's, you know, she's got a stand in her underwear on scales in front of the nurses and, you know what I mean? And as much as I know that that, that well, I'm assuming that that's probably part of uh, how those sort of disorders are treated, but I can also imagine that it must be for, you know, for, for, for the patient, it must be quite kind of humiliating, you know, having, mm. you know, the having to stand there and be assessed and weighed and measured and and all that kind of thing so i I don't think it romanticizes eating disorders at all like you know all the way through the film i think what browning's great at is that she's sort of she's kind of playing two characters like she's like a different person when she's with james and then later on uh, cassie and the rest of the guys in the bands but then the scenes when she's by herself when she's running out of pills 
you know, and she's sort of, you know, she realises that she's only got however many days worth of pills left and the sort of self-doubt and anxiety and everything. You know, there's nothing kind of romantic about it in the slightest. Not at all. And I think it's a, a good point. I think, I mean, that's what a lot of people say people that have eating disorders they they you know they do put up a mask i guess it's all same as like alcoholics you know mm-hmm. they, they'll put up this mask in front of people so maybe that's what she was doing with james and cassie like feeling everything's fine but i do genuinely think she was actually fine because it is when james kind of falls out with her but he's he's taking the huff a little bit because he discovers she's shagging anton yeah and and he kind of goes AWOL for a bit. And that leads to her kind of sinking back into the depression. And, you know, it's, it's probably my, one of my two favorite songs in the film is the, you know, musician, please take heed. When yeah. she, you see her go to the downward spiral, she's off with this dancer. Did you recognize the dancer, by I the did, way? That uh, she's I, d- I, d- I didn't recognize her at the time, but I saw in the credits it was uh, the highly talented Sarah Swire from Anna mm. and the Apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she, you see her going this downward spiral, drinking vodka, buying drugs off these guys, watching Minder, which I didn't expect to see Dennis Waterman no, in this film. <laughs> Definitely not. But I do, I, do, I do like it when Dennis Waterman pops up in things, even if it's only for these minutes. <laughs> it was just, it was beautiful, but it was the, I think the, I need to check the actual lyrics, but I'm sure he says, she says something about a reminder yeah. and Minder pops up on TV. I was like, that's just, that is fucking amazing. I can't believe Dennis Waterman's in this. And he's actually, um, I watched the full credits and when it says thank you to, there's a list of people and it does say Dennis Waterman in the, yeah. <laughs> in the actual thanks. <laughs> Um, but she goes in this downward spiral and effectively, you know, we think takes an overdose and I don't know if she checked herself back in or if she was forced back into the, the hospital. And uh-huh. the next thing you see is, you know, James coming to visit her and she's very, she's accepted, you know, she has to be there. She yeah. knows it's the only way she's going to get better is being there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think for, for to say that it glamorizes eating disorders is ridiculous. I think it really shows the, the horrible impact that they have on on the people and, you know, their friends and family as well, because obviously James is, you know, impacted by it. And and true enough, he kind of says that the nurse does say to him, Did you know? And she's like, Well, yeah, you know, you just have to listen to the lyrics of the song she writes and you know. Um, yeah. The only glamorizing part I could say is the football match, which has <laughs> that beautiful speech from the comedian Josie Long yeah. playing the uh, the football that we're all fucking mental. Yeah. <laughs> and the big high five, mental. That yeah. was um. That's the only bit I could see possibly glamorizing it. You look frightened. We don't need to be frightened of them because we're all fucking mental. Do you understand? They're not mental. They don't have a clue, right? These are children. They're beautiful children, but they're children. And we can take them down. Do you understand? Mental! I think, you know, I think what the scene, the scene you mentioned before that actually uh, does a, a really good job of showing the kind of vulnerability of people who are suffering with those types of conditions. Because, like, I think when James sort of withdraws a bit from her, I think it's only, like, for the day. It's like the Sunday, you know, because when he meets her back in the hospital, you know, she says, where did you go that day? You know what I mean? And, and you know, so they get sort of, to me, it kind of mm. understated how much she really needed him Maybe not in the way that he wanted her to need him, 
but she kind of needed them nearby and she needed Cassie nearby and, and of course Cassie's away on holiday at that point with her family and it's just you know like how sort of fragile the the sort of tape holding her together is all it takes is one little thing like that for her to mm. for her to sort of come crashing down you know it's just, you know I think she Emily Browning seems to she seems to understand it really you know she seems to understand what the the sort of pressure points are for people who who struggle with like eating disorders and, and things. I think that leads to the, the topic of the the chemistry between James and Eve. It's it's wonderful. You yeah. really you really feel for him because you can tell he's he's really pining for her and he he really likes her. And but then I wouldn't say Eve leads him on as such. She's, you know, she's there. She's, she really likes him, and she does say at one point, you know, I love you, and yeah. Cassie as well. It's more of a, I love you, as yeah. a friend, yeah, um, yeah. kind of, kind of way. And, and even when he he does finally take the balls and and kisses her, she says, "What was the point of that?" Yeah, she said that it's too late. You should yeah. have done that. It's too late. You should have done yeah. that weeks ago. It's yeah. so then you are led to believe, like, oh wow, was she into him all along? But she was shagging the Swiss German um, Anton. So was she leading him on? But the, the chemistry between the two is great. And then when Cassie comes in as the the kind of third part, it's just great. The the three of them mm-hmm. uh, together, you really believe them as a you believe them as a band, but you yeah. believe them as a group of, of friends. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful the chemistry that they have. Yeah, I, you know, I suspect that they probably became good friends, the three of them, um, mm. through the course of the uh, through the course of making the of making the film. The other thing that I noticed that there's a few like in the scenes, like the first scene in the bowling club, um, where the rest of the band are playing the sort of tea dance for the the, the mm. older folk, and they they go and 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 get involved. I, I spotted quite a few Bell and Sebastian band members. <laughs> And yeah. and camera obscura band members uh, kind of making up the numbers in the in the kind of dance routine. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite funny. I was I, I kept having to kind of pause it, and I can never remember I can never remember their names right enough. But they're you know they're all quite sort of distinctively looking. Um, the other thing that this review, this woman who Chris who reckoned that uh, we were glamour that Murdoch was glamorizing uh, eating disorders was she said that um, she criticized the film's lack of racial diversity as a mm. microcosmic view this is where it's a quote or a micro a microcosmic view of what is wrought by racial exclusivity that is omnipresent in indie rock i would again i would take issue with that right because you know like murdoch did he did he did respond to her on twitter murdoch you know saying that you know i'll kind of poor white kid from Scotland and I've kind of written about what I know in the in the sort of scene mm. and things but I was thinking well there ha- there have been some indie bands with uh, black members and they the, the the one that immediately springs to mind is Block Party but even yeah, if you that's exactly even, what was the way to say yeah but even if you go way back to the specials in the 80s which were mm. an, an indie band um you know there were a, a mixed a, a a mixed race bands black guys and white guys so you'd be 40 You'd be forty as well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, it's, I think it's, it's 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 been a while since uh, UB forty were could be described as an indie band, um, but then you could say the same about the specials, the, light, <laughs> the Lighthouse Family, <laughs> yeah, M people. <laughs> uh, you know, someone you, you raise a good point there. I it genuinely never crossed my mind watching this, and it, it's only until you've mentioned it that I'm like, yeah, you're right. Everyone in this film's white. Mm. I I never that. 
genuinely ever crossed my mind but you you make a very valid point and i think she does as well but i guess it's 2014 and, and as stuart says if he's just a you know a poor white kid growing up in glasgow that's he's written about what he knows yeah yeah i don't know I don't know. I mean, I I sort of feel, you know, I, I you know, you, anybody should be anybody should be able to be represented in anything, in any sort, of, whatever it is, any type of film, any sort of music. If you're into it, you know, like I don't think anybody should be excluded from some from something just because of where they come from. Whether that's a white guy wanting to play reggae music that you be forty, or you know, like or a black guy wanting to play like rock music like Jimi Hendrix or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But I also know growing up in Glasgow and then returning to Glasgow a lot over the years, it, you know, it, it never felt as diverse as going to like a English city, for example. Like, you know, there's there's a big mm. Asian community in Glasgow, like uh, Pakistanis and Asians and things. But, you know, when I went to the Barrowlands to watch like the Manic Street Preachers or Radiohead or someone like that, like, the audience would predominantly would predominantly be white you know what i mean you wouldn't see and it could just be a simple case that rather than people like that being excluded or feeling excluded they might just not be into it (laughs) you know what i mean they might not be into that type of music or whatever i just think it's you know this sort of i think people just look to make discussion points which we're obviously fucking we're obviously taking the bait because we're discussing it right now but i think you know it's (laughs) you know but i think the um it's the sort of thing that you see on twitter and you can and you can tell that somebody is just trying to chuck a fucking hand grenade into a conversation to, you know, provoke some outrage, get get somebody to accidentally say something ridiculously racist or something like that, and then kind of round on them. I just thought it was a really, I thought it was a weird thing to say, you mm. know. Yeah, I would agree. I think it is a bit of... Um, she's obviously trying to provoke things. She obviously mm. just didn't like the film. If she's provoking yeah. that it, it's glamorising eating disorders and there's no black people in this film, yeah, yeah. then, yeah, that's the, the picking up on it. I, as you said, I think it is kind of a... Yeah, it's a nearly two-hour-long kind of music video. Mm-hmm. And there's not a, a huge amount of story, really. I mean, it, it's Eve. She's in hospital with an eating disorder. She escapes, meets James and Cassie. They form a band. She has a relapse, ends up back in hospital. They perform a gig she goes off to london to go to music school that's kind of the whole premise of the film that, yeah. that's the whole story of the film yeah but it, you know there's a lot happens and in, in, in terms of as i say the songs are great and i think stuart admitted that this was quite heavily influenced by a hard day's night yeah um, by the beatles well there's and a, there's an overt you, you can spate hard day's night scene isn't there pretty much when they're when they're putting the flyers up and that's all, exactly and, what i was about to say <laughs> <laughs> When, uh, yeah, James is kind of running away, yeah, with uh, all the flyers spilling out. And, yeah, it's exactly uh, very much influenced by that. And you can you can see um, how much that was, yeah, very much influenced. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a few people, actually, I was going to ask you, so if you know where this girl's from, so that scene that you just mentioned, when they all sort of gather... So when he stops running, they all kind of gather in the park and there's the girl in the mm. school uniform collecting litter... <laughs> Yeah, thought, she's so familiar, and I could not place yeah. her. Yeah, uh, no, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, no. Um, but yeah, she was very familiar to me as well. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's. She's got an accent, uh, and not a Scottish accent, right? She's. It's um, like a French accent. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, but it's a good scene that, and it's like it's like to your point, it's like straight out of Hard Day's Night, you know, <laughs> like aspiring musicians uh, all running after James. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I do like as well. I I love a film that is kind of a set in like a little bit of an ambiguous time period because mm-hmm. I, I, we know I think we do see at one point Eve has like a a smartphone. Because she is yeah. playing like the keyboard on it, so we know it's you know then, and obviously a lot of the things they talk about in terms of tapes not being, uh, I mean they haven't been you know cassette tapes haven't been relevant for a, a long time, although they are making a comeback. Um, I think, but this even the clothes that they wear, which you mentioned before, it's it's quite an ambiguous kind of way of of when it's set. Like I I presume it is set in 2013 when it was filmed or, you know, 2014, mm. but it's, there's it, not really a kind of key of, you know, it's this year, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I, I don't know what you mean. And it's, you know, the, the sort of fashion, you know, James wears a couple mm. of Fred Perry uh, polo shirts a couple of times, but like he, he also, he's also wearing some stuff that's clearly been bought from Topshop as well in other scenes, yeah. you know. He's got his Harrington, he's got his uh, his suede desert boots that he wears all the time. Mm. But yeah, they, but they all look, I mean, I think they all look fucking great, like I mentioned earlier, like all, they, all the cast. Yeah. You know, they especially Emily Browning. I mean, I don't, we, we 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 don't see her in the same clothes twice. I liked her. No. Uh, I did like her bod T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I saw it, the theme tune to Bods just came galloping unbidden <laughs> into my mind and has been stuck there ever fucking since. You know, they they just really really good look. They, she looks. She just looks really cool in every yeah. scene. Every scene she's in, really. um, she looks really really cool. I think the word twee gets used quite a lot especially to describe Bell and Sebastian. And I have seen a, a lot of reviews of this film calling it twee. Would you describe it as twee? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's, I think, I think people are looking for, I think they're looking for something more than what the film is. And I, 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 don't, I don't mean that in, in a negative way. I mean, it, it's just, it's a nice, maybe a wee bit long for Swally standards, but it's just a nice, yeah. um, a nice entertaining film with like a really good cast, really you know, good, good looking, talented cast with some great songs, you know, I mean, and I don't know, maybe like, maybe because he doesn't show the overt fucking horror of an eating disorder, like other dramas that touch on something like that might do. I mean, there is one scene where Eve is sick, um, but you know, the, the nurse says, no, it's because you're, you've started eating again and, you know, your stomach has shrunk because you haven't been eating and now your body's just starting to wake up and stuff and that's why you've been sick. You know, so it wasn't like a scene of her making herself sick, you know, and like, like we've seen when, you know, something like Hollyoaks or something when they cover anorexia or bulimia or something. You know, it's, you know so he doesn't, it's it's always there in the, in the it's always there as a, in a, as, as a sort of shadow through the plot and through the storylines that unfolds, but it's not, you know, he doesn't beat you over the head with it it's just like a good entertaining film and i don't i think i I think to call it twee is a bit ignorant to be honest i I think it's sort of missing Hmm. the point i I think the only point he's trying to make in the film like i mentioned earlier that you know like art can help you overcome uh personal Hmm. problems whether it's an eating disorder or whether it's like in in james's case you know, he's a bit shy and he's a bit, you know, he's a bit uncomfortable in his own skin. Um, you know, they by embracing these things, they can help, you know. He's, he's just not very preachy about it, which is probably why people are missing the point. I mean, what are you going to do? 
What does that mean? What are you going to do? You're just going to sit around here for the next 10 years, getting more tired and fed up with everything? You say we can make records. How can we make records? You need money to make the kind of records you want to make. And even then, who's going to listen to them? You're the only person that wants to hear them. Well, what's wrong with that? You can't make records for anyone else. I I mean, I don't care if we made a record and no one bloody listened to it, as long as it was the record that we wanted to make. Well, I can't have that, James. Okay? I just... I've been inside my own head for way too long. I want to sing and I want to dance and I want to meet new people and I don't want to look back. I mean, to talk about James and Ollie Alexander, you mentioned that this was the first time you'd really seen him? Yeah, I know he's in the, he's, in, he's in a band called Years and Years, I think, isn't yes, he? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know he's been in some stuff. When I was reading about him earlier, um, I know he was in the Russell T Davies drama that was out last year. I think you watched it. It's a sin. I, right? can't, I can't recommend that highly enough. Yeah. It is just incredible. And he's brilliant in it. But you, you, you would absolutely love it because it's just full on 80s. Yeah. Like it's, uh, but it, it's Honestly, it's one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. It's so wonderful. Um, but he is absolutely fantastic in it. And he's great in this. Like mm. he, he he treads the line of, you, you kind of know he's a very intelligent guy, but he doesn't, he's not a show off. And I, I think instantly I just, I, I cracked up when he's talking to Eve and he says, yeah, I'm a lifeguard. And it cuts to that scene and he's like, you know, here is the safeness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come here. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> <laughs> he's got such a beautiful delivery of the way with his words and, and he's, you know, fully invested and, and obviously he knows his music. And I mean, I disagree with a couple of his opinions. You know, I have shed a tear probably to a Bowie album. And yeah. I, I don't know if I agree that pop music has been on the slide since 1969. I presume he's referring to that because that was just, what that was when Abbey Road came out and then Let It Be wow. was 1970. But then he criticises the Beatles as well later on. So maybe it's not reference to the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, has he never heard S? Has he never heard S Club 7? Exactly. That is my point. He's never girls heard S Club 7 or Steps or Girls Aloud or Hadaway or anything like that. But yeah, I think he's a he's a brilliant character. And as I say, I think he treads the line very well of if you can tell how much he cares for Eve. And he's obviously, you know, head over heels in love with her. But and, and devastated when she says that she's going to London. Yeah. That's the, the other part that I actually loved about the film, the ending. She just she fucks off. Yeah. It's not like a fairy tale ending. I think even even <laughs> oh, e, 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 even Cassie sort of foreshadows it when she says, you know, if if you two aren't together at the end of this yeah. thing, you know, she said, you know, um and then of course they're not together, you know, and we're just left with the the image of um James and Cassie riding the tandem um, along the side of the Clyde now, and uh, Emily. That's, I mean, that raises two questions for me. One, how much effort did Cassie have to get to to ride that tandem in the central station? I know, they weigh like, a fucking could ton. Could you imagine? They, they weigh and a bastard and ton tandems. <laughs> having to drive through Glasgow city centre on your tandem and getting it into central station, that's a bastard. Um my second question is how long right so obviously James is going to be devastated that Eve's left he's probably going to what do you reckon two weeks of pining before he tries to fire into Cassie <laughs> I don't know I mean I don't know that he really fancies Cassie because he's, he's he's quite you know he sort of he, he, he sends the wee dog captain round to collect her because there's a guy at the tea dance that he thinks that she'll fancy you know the sort of greaser guy the kind of 1950s kid I don't, I don't know how much he I don't know I, I my my wonder what I thought the film might 
end with is uh, James turning up on the platform at uh, Euston Station um, or something mm. like that. Do you know what I mean? And and going to find her. Um, but no, it's just them cycling off. And the, the, the thing I find hard to believe is that how anybody could ride that tandem through Glasgow City Centre without somebody ripping the cunt out of them. Mm. <laughs> is, is, is that the most unbelievable thing or is um, the fact that James wants to be a counsellor? A city councillor. Who yeah. who wants to be a city councillor? It's quite a, a bizarre aspiration for someone who's obviously musically talented. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just a strange kind of aspiration to have. Yeah. Obviously, it's done on purpose, but I, I wonder why. I mean, he's a bit of a weird guy anyway. I mean, like that scene when he's sitting outside the bathroom singing the song about wanting to rub her in the bath and stuff. And now, that is the one song that I am like, I, I'm not on board with that at all. That's just weird as fuck, that song. And I, I that I, I like a lot of the songs in the films. I say I've got two that I, I absolutely adore. But that song is just so wrong on so many levels. <laughs> it's really weird that he wants to I mean I've never you know obviously very physically attracted to my wife but I wouldn't want to like give her a bath you know what I mean it's <laughs> weird and I'm pretty sure neither would she want me to you know what I mean uh <laughs> There's a, there's a scene in the film where they mention two bands that are named after Spunk. Mm-hmm. They mention Pearl Jam and 10CC. Can yeah. you name the third band that they don't mention the, in this film? The Love and Spoonful. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I knew you would know that. Um, <laughs> I, can be, I, can be, I can be relied upon to know things like that. You know? <laughs> Very good. Glad to hear it. Um, how good were the Neds? Oh, the Neds, uh, they're just great. there for a little bit, but I absolutely love the uh, hey Blondie, I know you. You go to the posh school. <laughs> <laughs> just when you go with him, and then when they're like, we need to leave, and the one Ned goes, "Ah, oh, she's a wee English rose." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet she's dirty. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Blondie, I know you. You go to the posh school. Would you go with my pal? Uh, where does he want me to go? I, I don't understand what you're saying. Would you go with him? As in, like, go with him? Uh, James, paddle! Oh, I love her. She's heavy English, Rose. But I bet she's dirty. I know. I kind of thought to myself, oh, maybe uh, Stuart's like subverting the, the whole stereotype of that type <laughs> of young Scottish man. He's got like the, the heart of a poet until he, I bet she's dirty. <laughs> I have to say, it's a bit of a, a flip as well, because obviously we have Hannah Murray playing Cassie. And exactly as you said, she played Cassie in Skins. And I did watch an interview. Um, it was on American TV with the cast and Stuart. And the interviewer did say, you know, so you recall Cassie in Skins. Did you, you know, think, oh no. And she's like, well, yeah, to be honest, like, I, but I really wanted to do this film. And I didn't want to be able to say to Stuart, um, could you change the character name just so it helps with my CV? Because it doesn't look like I'm, you know, playing yeah. Cassie the whole time. Um, she is great. And I, I have to admit, I, I loved her in Skins. And I, I quite fancied her a little bit in Skins. Because um, she's, a, she's a very pretty girl. and But in this, it's kind of a similar character almost. But in Skins, she has an eating disorder. Whereas 
in this, obviously, it's Eve that, that has the eating disorder. So it's a little bit of a different twist there. But she's kind of a, you know, yeah. well, she goes to the posh school. So she's like a rich school girl yeah. who just wants to, you know, play music. And, and she just falls in with uh, with James and, and Eve. And it, as I say, the, the relationship between the three of them is just beautiful. Well, I, I quite like seeing Hannah Murray in this role because, you know, obviously the part of Cassie in Skins is as much as she's a, she is quite an eccentric, quite an eccentric character in the in that TV show. This the storyline is very a very serious kind of storyline. And then the the other big part that she's had, which I know that you won't have seen her in, is Game of Thrones, where she's in it mm. from like the second series right right until the very end. And again, you know, it's a serious it's a serious kind of role as well. So it was nice to see her in this. Although she's, I, mean, I suspect that she's maybe a wee bit. A wee bit eccentric, any herself, you know what I mean. But it was nice to see her just having a bit of fun with with the role, and it's it's not, it's you know, it's not a heavy, serious part, you know. And she gets to sing a no. couple of songs. She gets to do some some dodgy dancing, <laughs> you know. Uh, what on earth are Stuart Marconi and Mark Radcliffe doing on a radio station in Glasgow? Oh, but I was really glad to see them. Yeah, to hear them on yeah, that because it I, was great, wasn't it? I fucking used to really enjoy their. A radio 2 show that was on in the evening you know because it was on like every night I think it was on at sort of 8 or 10 or something um, and I hadn't heard them for ages Stuart McConey I did read his book which I really enjoyed called uh, Drinking Cider with Roadies which is a bit of a autobiography of his formative years from being from being a counsellor Funnily enough, but although not a city councillor, more a youth councillor to becoming a journalist for the NME. Um, but on Twitter, he's a bit of a prick, if I'm honest. I follow him on Twitter. Um, I I remember driving, and he I, I tweeted him one night. Um, I was driving back from somewhere, and he was he had a he, he had like a little documentary on Radio Two about Northern Soul, um, hmm. and he used the word pureness to des- describe something and I tweeted them saying that I really enjoyed the show but you know a bit facetiously I said w- when you said pureness did you not mean purity and he, me- he tweeted me back saying no I meant I meant pureness some people just take things far too fucking seriously and I was like <laughs> I think I, I, I still think purity is a better word you know <laughs> oh dear um Okay, have you got uh, any favourite songs from I, the film? Uh, I liked uh, the the first song, um, The Apostle, mm. um, yeah. and uh, Act of the Apostle, sorry, and um, the, I'm trying to remember, you mentioned it before, the uh, Museum, Please Take Heed, eh, Museum, Musician, Please Take Heed, um, I, mm. think, I think they were my two favourite songs. And the on it. What about you? Yeah, uh, musician, please take heed. And I, I really like. I'll have to dance with Cassie as well. I just think it's a really kind of fun song. Yeah, um, it's the one they sing in the. Um, well, it's never established. I think Mark Radcliffe does say it's the old schoolhouse in Ibrox that right. they're playing right. um, because it's never kind of mentioned where it is because I, I know they go to see Wobbly Legged Rat at the bowling club but then the, the venue they go to is different for the, the kind of band when they're singing with all the dancing and stuff and it is like a it's like a British legion basically and I think there is a, a photo in the background of like soldiers so I presume it is a proper British legion but yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Radcliffe does say that when he eventually gets Eve's tape um, he does say yeah so we can't get to see God Help the Girl tonight but if you want to go and see them they're playing at the old schoolhouse in Ibrox so yeah. 
probably not the usual type of band that plays in the old schoolhouse in Ibrox, but you know, no. a, a gig's a gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, no. They yeah. should have uh, maybe been singing the song from uh, <laughs> T two. <2. Spot> <laughs> yeah. About yeah, no more Catholics. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you could tell that the cast really enjoyed filming this, and they did say that it felt like a summer camp um when they when they filmed this and it's it's so nice to see you know three young cast members just really enjoying themselves but also mm-hmm. making a great film and to say I, I have read a few online reviews and people either seem to love this film or absolutely hate it and it's it's you know quite uh there doesn't seem to be any in between and mm. I, i'm with you i i loved this film i thought it was great i yeah. really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it as well and my, and my daughter enjoyed it too um obviously she's a bit of a bit of an aspiring uh, musician herself you know um yeah she 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 really liked it and i wondered like because emily browning so she one of her early parts was billy conley's daughter in the film the man who sued god which is an australian film Mm. although thankfully Connolly plays a scottish man and not an australian guy um and then she's she's in she stars with him again in the lemony snicket movie with uh, jim carrey so I, mm. I wondered if maybe another reason for uh, I wonder if she became sort of, she she sort of became kind of friendly with uh, Connolly and that was how she came to find herself in Glasgow and and uh, and another reason I know you mentioned earlier that she was a fan of Bell and Sebastian but if that was another another maybe a, a wee reason for seeking out the part you know yeah possibly yeah, yeah. maybe the connection there yeah led to it yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so up, up the Scotia Bar and Billy Conley's recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Eating fucking pickled eggs and drinking pints of tartan heavy with the with the bar flies in that pub. <laughs> I, I, can I just say, Emily, I would love to eat a pickled egg and have a pint of heavy with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she is, she is, but you know, there's, she's absolutely stunning, Emily, Emily Brown. Yeah. I mean, she does seem quite small, like Hannah Murray seems to kind of, kind of loom over her. Yeah, you know? I noticed that in a couple of scenes that, mm. yeah, she does seem to be uh, quite short, uh, but yeah, she's just, ah, oh, she's lovely in this. And I think it helps that she's just such a, a lovely character as mm-hmm. well. And as I say, I watched a couple of interviews with the cast and she genuinely is a lovely person. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of the, because obviously it was like 2014, so she was kind of the bigger star at the time. And a lot of the interviewers were kind of focusing on her and she kept sort of sort of deflecting questions to Ollie or Hannah, which yeah. I thought was really sweet as well and like really nice. Because she's like, oh, well, you'd be better to add to this. And, you know, it, it, I thought that was really... Uh, gracious of her and you know kind of maybe think oh she is a genuinely lovely person as well yeah so yeah yeah no it was really good i really enjoyed the film yeah and i'm I'm about to go i'm traveling for the next 10 days after tomorrow so i've downloaded all of bell and sebastian's albums because uh <laughs> that's going to be my soundtrack while i'm bopping around new york um so i do i look forward to it wonderful okay well um Shall we put God Help the Girl through the Swally Awards? Let's, yep, absolutely. Um, so the first one, uh, the Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub in the film. What did you go well, for? Well, we've got the Barrowlands or we've got the old schoolhouse in Ibrox. 
I guess. That's kind of the only two. Yeah. Um, probably, you know something? The old school house in Ibrox, I think I'd rather go for a beer. Is uh, it? Then... It depends who's playing at the Barrowlands. But, <laughs> very true. I mean, I've, I've been there a couple of times and enjoyed it, but um, I think it depends who's playing. But yeah, I think I'd go with the old school house. What about yourself? I mean, I wrote down the Barrowlands, but I wasn't sure whether I would get away with it because the Barrowlands is like a is a venue. It's not really a pub. Um, so yeah. if, I guess if we're if we're st- if we're adhering it's to strict fine. strict Swally rules, I suppose. Uh, yeah, the old school house in Ibrox. Although it does, it looks more like a. That you mentioned, it's more like a social club than a pub. Yeah, right? yeah. It, uh, instantly I was like, it's a British Legion, I thought. Mm. But Orange Lodge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's taking all the shit off the walls. Um, it's an eyebrow, so it basically <laughs> is. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, uh, the next one then. It's a bit of a tricky one, um, and I, I maybe I mean perhaps what is perhaps in hindsight a bit of a controversial choice, but the James Cosmo Award uh, for prolifically appearing in many Scottish things. I mean, there's only really two choices that I had, and it's Anne Scott-Jones or Catherine Howden. Mm. Um, I mean, Catherine Howden only plays like a ward sister, but Anne Scott-Jones plays the the woman that cuts Eve's hair. So yeah. it kind of has a bigger part and then gives her some Christian healing. When I get that feeling, <laughs> I want Christian healing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I went with Anne Scott Jones. I mean, purely because she has been in, you know, she was in Legend of Barney Thompson. Um, she's been local in hero. Blair, she's been the High Life local hero. So yeah, I I went with Anne Scott Jones. What about yeah. yourself? What'd you go for? Well, I didn't um, realize, I didn't recognize Anne Scott Jones. Um, so I, I, because we've had her on the Swally before, I put Say the Swire because I couldn't think of anybody else. Mm. But I didn't recognize Anne Scott Jones. There's a the hairdresser. So I think you're looking at her IMDb. She's a much more deserving winner um, yeah. than Say the Swire. And Jesse. And Maggie. Exactly, yeah. I, I watched like an episode of Maggie. Unfortunately, and, they're not all one And of there. course, um, she was uh, the mother in the nuclear family. She's going yeah. yeah. punch right. you a pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. S- uh, Sarah Swire looked good, didn't she? Um, in her scene, I thought. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've perved over Emily Browning enough. I can't uh, <laughs> continue with that. But yeah, she did. She looked. Uh, yeah, she looked incredible. I have yeah. to say. Uh, okay. Um. So the next award is the Jake McQuillan Your Teaser Award. Um. But there's like, no real violence in this. I I went with them. Um, James fighting with his drummer. That was, oh that yeah. Was it, really. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, when... he, he does slap him. Um. He does. Yeah. With yeah. Your, you're a you're a bloody tea drinker, pal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that's it. That's the only violence, really. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, well, I, yeah, you know, that's after the the drumstick gets bounced off the back of his head, which looked like yes. a real drumstick really being bounced yeah. off the back of his head, which like, I'm actually quite painful. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, the next award then the Ewan McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. Um, there's only one real. But and it's not really gratuitous, but it's when um it's when Eve and Anton are in bed and uh mm. and Eve has to Eve storms out angrily when she finds out that Anton never gave her tapes to the uh, to Donovan and um well what was Mark Radcliffe's character called again? Finley. Finley, yeah. Um you know, so it's very brief. Um not really gratuitous. Mm. Did you have anything no. else? No, that was it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um next one then, the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I absolutely loved this there's a few good swear words in this but i absolutely loved and it's more the reaction from ollie alexander and i think it's more the situation as well it's when 
Anton comes and takes Eve away and James just looks at Cassie and he's like, who the fuck is he? (laughs) (laughs) Hello? Hi, uh, this is James and Cassie, this is Anton. May I talk to you for a minute? Sure. Bye, guys. Who the fuck is he? And the way they just sit there staring at each other as the camera just sits on them. It's just a beautiful bit of direction. I love that. I I just burst out laughing. I had exactly the same thing because up until that point, I don't think we'd had any, certainly hadn't been any F words. Mm. Um, you know, we hadn't really had any real, sw- any real swearing. I mean, there's there's the bit when, at the football match, when Eve is fouled by the keeper and she says, oh, yeah. right in the fanny. But they got up and, apart from that, there wasn't really any other bad language. So they, just, for it to come out of nowhere, it, to, to come from James <laughs> as well, it's just... It's... I, I, I think there is a little bit earlier on, I think um, exactly at the football match, I think Josie Long does say, like, look, we're all fucking mental. So oh, yeah, let's right, just, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's just, it's the way it's delivered from Ollie Alexander. It's just, it's just a beautiful, who the fuck is he? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's, to, your, to, oh. to your point, it's just, it's, it's so unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so the next one then, archetypal Scottish moment. What did you go for? Uh, gigs at the Barrowlands. Ah, uh, yeah, good shout. Yeah, that's a very good shout, actually. I went with the Neds, just purely the, you know, would you go with him? Um, that was the, yeah, the one I had to go for. Cool. Uh, and then, finally, then, the um, the Sean Connery Awards. Who do you think wins the film? I'm kind of torn uh, between Emily Browning and Ollie Alexander. Because I think Ollie Alexander is great, but it's kind of Emily Browning's film, really. And yeah. she is brilliant. And, you know, something, the fact that she sings her songs live mm-hmm. and she's got quite a few of them and she's got such a good singing voice. And yeah, I mean, she definitely won my heart in this film anyway. So yeah, I've got, yeah, Emily Browning wins it for me. What about cool. you? Yeah, no, I had written Emily Browning as well. I think she's, uh, it's definitely her film. You know, she's, I mean, Ollie Alexander, you could make a case for Ollie Alexander. Um, mm. I think he's very yeah. good as well. But, you know, I think uh, if we're being, if we're being, to be, if we're being serious, I think uh, it's Emily Browning's yeah. film. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, God Help the Girl. Um, as I say, I think I mentioned last episode, I'd seen it once before, but it was through, like, basically after, like, two bottles of red wine. So um <laughs> couldn't remember a huge amount of it, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I've watched it twice this week, and I'll, I'll probably watch it again because I just thought it was so good. Um, and I'll definitely be downloading the soundtrack mm-hmm. as well to listen to. Cool. So, wonderful. Well, that was my choice, Greg. So, it's your choice next time on the Swally. So, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about on the next episode? So, I've gone for another film uh, with a all-star Swally cast. Just, like, absolute bomber after bomber. I've gone with the 2008 uh, historical comedy drama directed by Charles Martin Smith, starring Charlie Cox of Daredevil, I know he's not Scottish, uh, Billy Boyd, Robert Carlyle, Peter Mullen, Stephen McCall, Stone of Destiny. About I can't the... believe I... Why? Sorry. <laughs> it, it was on my list, but the reason I picked it was because of Kate Mara, who I absolutely fucking adore. 
So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. What a fucking great choice. Sorry, I cut you off. You're about to explain. Stone of Destiny about... Yeah, so it's about um, the group of academics uh, who famously stole the the Stone of Schoon, um, the ancient stone in which uh, Scottish kings were knighted that had been sitting in Westminster Abbey for hundreds of years. I think it still sit, is back sitting in Westminster Abbey, mm. I believe. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 all about that. Um, I've only I've 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 seen it before, but. Many, 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 many years ago. I think when it was quite new. Don't remember a great deal about it. Something forward to watching oh, it again. Wonderful. Well, you know, I ha- obviously haven't seen it because it's um, before my allotted time period. Because you know, <laughs> I don't watch anything like pre nineteen sixties. However, I will make the sacrifice for the Swally and for <laughs> Kate Mara as well. Okay. What? So we've had. So it's a it's a sort of uh, a bit of a trifecta. We had Rachel Weiss that we well certainly I got a bit hot under the collar about in the last episode. Uh, Emily Browning, which is probably fair to say we both got a little bit hot under the collar about in this episode, and then we've got uh, Kate Mara um, coming up in um, in the next episode. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to definitely pick an all male cast for my <laughs> next choice. Avoid <laughs> us. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to get in touch with us, if you've got anything that, in the news that you've seen you'd like us to cover, or if you've got anything in from Scottish media you'd like us to cover, then please get in touch on cultureswally at gmail.com. Or just send us a little line to say hello and we get in touch. Um, or you can follow us on Instagram at cultureswallypod or follow us on Twitter at swallypod. And Greg, we have a wonderful website as well, don't we? Uh, we do. Um, I need to do a bit of work on it when I've got time, but you can find us at uh, cultureswally.com. Um, you can find links to all the episodes and a couple of essays about Scottish pop culture. So come and have a look. <laughs> Fucking With cat. an added cat. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wonderful all right well thank you very much everyone for listening and greg have a wonderful time in new york although i know you're going there for for work and uh have a wonderful time in scotland you're going to be in scotland send us I'm, some pics of, i am uh, i'm going to be lovely scotland i'm going to be in aberdeenshire glasgow and then i've got to go to newcastle for a couple of days but i'll be back up um so yeah all, all, all told about 10 days back in God's country. Wonderful. And we'll be back with our next episode and we'll have the latest news for you on the next episode (laughs) because we'll we'll be recording that just before release. So, uh, yeah, have a wonderful trip, Greg. And uh, I look forward to hearing your stories from Scotland on the next episode. Okay, until next time. Till next time. I'm just saying, this is a Ned City now. It's a Victorian theme park, but it's run by Ned. What happened to the Victorians? They built the city... They used the workforce, then they fucked off with the money. I know more about the city than, I would say, 60% of the local residents. What? I, I do. I study the history of this place. I've, <laughs> I have. Just Sorry, be- James. You are English. No, I'm not. How long after you were yeah. born in Scotland did you live in Scotland? All right, well, I was born here and then after, like, six months we moved. Oh, that doesn't count. <laughs> if you went to the pub now around the corner and you were like hi everyone i'm scottish someone would punch you in the face absolutely no they wouldn't maybe i'd punch them back <laughs> <laughs>